morning will you open a Bible with me today? Keep it out because we're going to be in a few places this morning. Uh, and I want you to open today to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, that will be where we launch from. Today we're going to look at the original Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper that was instituted on that night before Jesus' arrest, trial, and then the next morning, his crucifixion. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the story. But there is a reason why God's word tells us to do this and remember. We tend to forget, don't we? We don't, we don't forget that it happened, but we forget what it means that it happened. One of the things that I think is true for me, maybe it is for you, it seems like every time we, we spend a few moments in reflection on the Lord's Supper, and every time we observe this Lord's Supper, it's like it's a, a fresh deal. It's like it's, it's just now happening. Uh, it's, it's new every morning, just like God's mercies are. And so it's, it's good for us to do this so we will remember because our tendency is to busy ourselves with so much of life that we forget to remember. And so today we're going to kind of walk back through what the Bible has to say to us about with regards to the Lord's Supper. Now this is important because depending on what church you grew up in or what particular uh, denomination you may be from or may be in now, uh, the, there, this, this Lord's Supper thing means something different to quite a few different groups. Primarily, I can think of four, um, and I'll just mention them briefly. If you have a Roman Catholic background, then you know that this is not called the Lord's Supper. It's referred to as communion, <clears throat> but in reality, it's called the Mass or the Eucharist. And it's the observance, that time when God's grace is being received and God's salvation is being given to us. In the partaking of these elements, the wine and the wafer, in such, uh, from such perspectives as the, the Catholic Church, these things, when the priest speaks them, when the priest prays over them, they become the body and the blood of Jesus, literally. It's called transubstantiation. The wine, the wafer, take on a new element of being, and that is they are literally the body and the blood of Christ. Another, another view is different from that. It's more of the Lutheran view. Remember, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest before he, he was the instrumental leader in the, in the Reformation period. And Luther, uh, he taught... In the Lutheran church, from the Lutheran, he, he questioned whether the, the uh, elements literally became the body and the blood of Christ. But 
And so he, he changed it from consubstantiation or from transubstantiation to consubstantiation. And it means that they are the body of Christ, but not really, not literally. Uh, that they are, the body of Christ is with the elements. They don't change. They are, uh, the body of Christ is in the dinner, but not in the elements. Does that make sense? The third one was one that was um, voiced by uh, uh, Ulrich Zwingli back about the same time. And he, he taught that as you partake of this, uh, these elements, they are symbolic, but they have with it kind of also the presence of, of Christ in this uh, in this partaking of the meal, in that the Holy Spirit is in it. And so as we partake of the Holy Spirit, we receive another uh, another dose or serving, if you will. That's not exactly what he said, but that's to illustrate. You may say, well, that's three of them. Where do you stand, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. I stand on the fourth. Uh, the fourth being that this is a symbolic meal, that it is there for us as a representation, as a symbol, as a reminder. See, I think what, what, what has been done over the centuries is that we have put words into Jesus' mouth. If we just read what the scriptures say, I'm not sure how we can come up with it being any other thing than a symbolic meal. The bread represents the body. It doesn't become the body. It's not through eating that bread that you are digesting the grace of God. The juice, the juice is, represents the body of Christ or the blood of Christ, but it's not literally the blood of Christ. It doesn't literally wash over us as we swallow it and it cleanses us from sin. Rather, the, the partaking of these elements calls us back to memory. To remember what Jesus taught about this, this meal. So it's a, it's a symbolic thing. Uh, let me tell you this. You are not going to be saved by eating this, this bread, crack, uh, bread and, and juice. You're not going to be more saved by eating them. That is by the grace of God received not through elements, but through God's uh, through God's grace received in our lives through our faith. So that's, what, that's where salvation comes from. So it's not, this isn't anything magical here. This is a reminder, but it's an important reminder. Now, are you in 1 Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it probably, 1 Corinthians is one of the first books not the first, I don't believe, but one of the first New Testament books written. Probably written in the early part of A.D. 50, 51, 52, something like that. None, none, and you understand what the word none means, right? None of the Gospels had been recorded by then. Matthew hadn't, Mark hadn't, Luke hadn't, John hadn't. They, this, that, and, and this is the first time then, because chapter 11 gives us instructions with regards to the Lord's Supper. 
The church was practicing the Lord's Supper, but this would have been the first biblical, scriptural instruction on what to do and how to do it. Now, that's not saying they weren't doing it or that they weren't doing it every time they gathered together in, in many cases. But rather that these are the instructions from Scripture and the way that the church is to partake of. And this would have been the first time these people had heard this, at least from a scriptural perspective. Now, the people that have been teaching them, that have been taking them through this Lord's Supper, were the people who were set down with Jesus at that meal the night he was betrayed. That first Lord's Supper. So they're saying, here's what he told us, and here's the way we did it. So therefore, here's how you should do it. Now look at what it says uh, in, in verse, in verse uh, uh, 23. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, For I, this is, this is uh, 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 Paul writing this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, let me just interrupt, since we're on this verse, and that's up on the screen. Uh, that, that is not a typo in there where it says, This is my body, which is for you. Some versions have, which is broken, you the original Greek language does not have that so this is more of the literal biblical thing and I, the, the reason I'm pointing that out is I don't want you to think that I that when I type I leave out words um, or but this changes this changes the whole meaning it's not just that this is my body that's broken for you but this is my body and it's for you this this puts Jesus in not just a sacrificial position, but it's in every area of your life. You need Jesus Christ. And then it also says, it, or it doesn't say, at the beginning of what's in quotes, some of your versions say, take, eat, for this is my body. But that again is not in the original language either. Those have been supplied uh, for us by the translators. Um, but the instruction that's given here is that his body is representing something and you should take partake of it and remember me, he says. And then verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And by saying after supper, it, it enables us to, to um, gain new understanding as when this took place during the, the, the receiving of the Lord's Supper, and therefore, why it has special meaning. More about that in, in a moment. We'll talk about the four cups that are taken during the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> and he says, drink this. this. This cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this is 
Paul, Paul who was, by his own testimony elsewhere in Scripture, a devout Jewish person, a Pharisee, of, in fact, called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was ultra right wing. If you, if you get where I'm, he, he was very, very familiar with Judaism. And as such, he would have been through probably every year of his life, the Passover. He understood the way the Passover worked. And he is, he is putting, uh, putting this together because th here's a truth that we have to remember. The initial establishment of this meal that we're taking today took place during a Passover. During the Passover Seder. In fact, I, I want you, I, I want you to, uh, if you will, uh, turn over to Luke chapter 22. And I want to, by the way, he goes on in chapter 11 and gives further, further instructions about the way that you're to partake of it. But now I want you to see what Jesus has to say about this particular meal. Passovers have been, have been taken and have been observed for centuries by Jesus' time. Jesus was a Jew. I, I read something this week that I had never thought of. Do you know that Jesus wasn't a Christian? Jesus was a Jew. He observed Jewish laws and rituals. I imagine there wasn't a Passover meal that he and his family didn't observe. He was familiar with it. He had done it if he's, at the time, if he's 33 years old, he's probably been through at least 33 of these things. And, it, it, and so, you know, after you've done something for centuries, or every year of your life, do you see how it's easy for those to become commonplace? I'm not saying this for any reason except just as an example. This last week I had a birthday. I've been having those every year. And the older I get, the more significant they are, and yet the more commonplace and there's no reason to make a big deal out of this, it's just one day closer to heaven. You, you see what I'm saying? It can become commonplace for us. But I want you to see what Jesus has to say, and I want you to see his passion with regards to, um, to this, this Lord's Supper, or this Passover meal that he's going to share with his, his uh, disciples uh, on this night before his betrayal. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, and uh, uh, through, verse, uh, through verse 16. It says, when the hour had come, before the disciples said, hey, it's Passover time, Jesus. I know how these things can sneak up on you. Where are we going to do this? We're in Jerusalem now. We're not home. Where, where do you want us to celebrate the Passover? And he says, listen. Go into town, you'll see a man who has a donkey. It, 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 he's carrying a, a, a bottle of water and tell him where the master needs use of the room and he'll tell you where to go. 
Jesus had, hadn't forgotten it was Passover time. He hadn't forgotten it was this Passover time. And he had already, I think, made arrangements, but it was all news to them. So when it, it says when the hour came, when it was time for the Passover to begin, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, now listen to this. I want you to catch the passion that's here. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus had a clue what was getting ready to happen? Well, I don't think that he had a clue. I think he was absolutely clear-minded as to what was going to happen. In fact, the rest of them may have been looking for the last few days or the last few hours about getting ready for the Passover. Jesus was getting ready for this Passover before he even created anything in the world. He knew exactly when the moment was going to come, and this is it. And he says, you guys don't understand how long I have yearned for and ached for this time tonight. This Passover with you is it's part of the plan. This kicks it, kicks it all off this weekend. This is not just the first day of a three-day weekend. This is what is going to launch the most important three days the world has ever seen. So he gathers those around with him, and he says, I want to share this Passover meal with you before I suffer. And he goes on, and he says, for I tell you, I won't eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Do you hear his passion? The Bible says this about these disciples that he had with him. Well, the Bible doesn't say this, but you can conclude this from what the Bible says about these men. These guys were far from perfect. Now, I know and I understand that in a lot of churches and and synagogues, or, or not synagogues, but uh, temples and buildings, in Christianity around the world today, these guys have earned a, a stained glass window. I understand they've got in the Bible that they are St. Matthew and St. John. Okay? We have venerated them to a high and lofty estate, but let's be honest, they were far, far from perfect. In fact, if they were to come in here today to worship with us, they'd fit right in, wouldn't they? More than we realize, more than we think. But Jesus says that he gathered them to follow him, to be with him. And for three and a half years, you know what they were doing? They were following him, and they were being with him. They were learning from him, because little did they know that they're going to take over the family business when Jesus leaves. What? These guys? These imperfect people, Jesus, the Son of God, I get how he is the leader of this movement. I don't get these guys. But Jesus says, I'm so excited because 
People who are undeserving, people who are incapable, are going to be the people that it's going to be written of, turn the world upside down. So Jesus says, I have been aching for this moment. Because tonight, tomorrow, over the weekend, over the next few days and months and years, you are going to be challenged. And I have been with you and I have shown you everything you need to have and everything you need to know in order to accomplish it. I've been looking forward to this moment. You know what he's saying by that? And they, wouldn't, they would disagree with this. You guys are ready. You're ready to change the world. Can I get out of their, of their time and day and age and come into ours? Y'all are ready. I'm ready. We are ready. We have everything that we need to be world changers. We just got to do it. And so he's there with him and it demonstrates his passion. And this is even before it even starts. Before the, the Passover starts. Now, the next thing I want you to look at, we're going to continue reading in this same chapter. I want to look at the inspiration. The inspiration for what's going to take place. Verse 27, or verse 20. Chapter 22, verse 17, says that Jesus says he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. That's something like this. A cup like this. I mentioned a moment ago that during the Lord's Supper, or during the pa Passover meal, there are four times when the cup is drank from by the people that are that are there um, and each time has a special purpose i believe here in luke chapter 22 this is the first cup of the meal and it's called the cup of sanctification the cup of sanctification uh, and that's when the meal is sanctified it's set aside as a time to be uh, used by God in the lives of the people that are participating. So it sanctifies, it makes holy the event. And, and so they would all, they, their, their cup would be poured from and they would either share a common cup, probably did, or they would each have their own cup and they would, they would drink the cup that was poured. Then, the, then there was a, another cup that was later in the service, the way the service goes, and this is generally speaking, after the, the, the meal is sanctified, candles are lit, and then is, is uh, the washing of hands, because any time in Jewish life, when you're gonna dip food into liquid, you always wash your hands first. Not just because it's more sanitary that way, it was because they didn't have those little bottles that you could squirt on your hands down. They hadn't been through COVID. No, but seriously, they, they would wash their hands ceremonially before they observed the meal. Then, in, then they would go on into the meal where the, the whole purpose of the Passover was to remember 
God's deliverance provided for them as God's people, as Israel, from bondage and slavery in Egypt and taking them, delivering them into the promised land. So as they, as they are retelling this story, they are called to remember what it was like before you were free. Remember how you were a slave, how you were in bondage. You know, sometimes that's why we have to have these moments is to remember where we used to be. To remember what it was like before Jesus came into your life. For some of us, we have to go a long way back. I've, I, I grew up in church. I, when I became a believer, at least on the outside, I didn't change all that much. I still, I was going to church before and I'm still going to church after I became a believer and a Christ follower. But I can recall what it was like in the way that I lived my life in the shadows. I can remember what it's like to have temper tantrums just because I'm selfish and I'm controlled by my own sin. Are you, are you remembering some of your stuff too? They remembered what it was what it was like to to be in bondage but they also remembered that they were set free and when they did that they took they partook of the second cup and it was called the cup of deliverance the bible is filled with this statement but god i once was blind but now i see I once was in bondage, but now I'm a free man. I'm a free nation. I'm a free people. And this was partaken of in celebration of that. Then they would take, partake of the meal. I want to back up if I can. Part of that uh, observance of, uh, part of the observance of remembering it starts off with, with a thing like this. This is called an ikad. It's a linen pouch. And in this pouch, you can't see this, but there are three, and maybe I can hold it up so you can, there are three pouches within this pouch. It's divided into three sections. And at the, at the Passover meal, there would be a piece, of, a piece of matzo bread inside each pouch. Jesus would have taken, and it, we, we read it a moment ago, would have taken the centerpiece and pull it out and break it. Put the smaller of those two pieces back in into the pouch and take the other one to be used later in the meal. Now, there is great discussion and debate among, among um, uh, Jewish scholars as to why they do this. Nothing is really said about it. It's just something that, that takes place. And the word ikad means unity, tri-unity, the unity of the three pouches. Now, some of the scholars, Jewish scholars say, well, it stands for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, you know, but 
I, I think that a believer can see what it stands for is the Trinity of God. And the centerpiece being taken out and broken. Then the Trinity goes back together and the piece of bread that's broken off is wrapped in a cloth and put away, hidden till later in the meal. After the meal is partaken of, that bread is brought back out. It's called the officomen. And that bread is taken back out, and it, that word officomen means dessert. After we've eaten the meal, after we've remembered all this, now let's put the icing on the cake. And I, that's what I want you to see uh, Jesus doing in these uh, in, in these uh, in these next verses, verse eighteen. Verse eighteen, he writes, and he took a cup. Oh, I'm sorry. Says, I tell you, from now on, I won't eat, drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. This is after the meal. Uh, and he said took out this officomen and he said he took the bread when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them and says this is my body this represents symbolically represents my body it's given for you take this eat it and when you do remember me that's what we're going to be doing we're going to be taking as it were the same bread from that from that uh, Passover meal not literally, symbolically. But we are doing the same thing that those disciples did around the table that night with him. They weren't literally chewing on his flesh. They were taking something that represented to make them remember uh, what he had sacrificed for them. So he, he, he took bread and he said, this is my body. Given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Then, after that, after the officomen, comes the third cup. And it says that Jesus took this particular cup. And he says, likewise, he took the cup, verse 20, after they had eaten and said, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Let me tell you what that means. They were living under the old covenant. The old law. To be judged according to the standards of absolute perfection. You see, that's what the Jewish law did. You had to follow every detail of the law. And if you don't follow one of them, you're guilty of the whole thing. That's the old covenant. Because of that, you were constantly having to offer sacrifices to pay the penalty or to, to say to God, I'm sorry. That's the old covenant. Jesus is establishing what Jeremiah had prophesied six centuries before that, the, that he is going to establish with his people a new covenant. This one, not written on the tablets of stone, this one written on our hearts. And as the, uh, as the new covenant is written on our hearts, 
it still requires perfection. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. We can't measure up there, can we? Perfection is a higher standard than any of us can meet. But here's the good news. It's not higher standard than Jesus met. The new covenant is not based on how good you are, how baptized you are, how often you go to church, how much money you give to the church. None of that has anything to do with the new covenant. Except that they are things because you're in the new covenant, you do. But the new covenant is based on Jesus' blood. In this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know what this cup's called? In the Jewish Passover Seder, it's called the cup of redemption. To redeem means to purchase, to buy back from something. It means to pay the price, and now this one, instead of belonging over there, belongs over here. Belongs to me. I paid the price for it. That's what Jesus is saying. Redemption. We sing about my Redeemer as we, as we worship this morning. And then the fourth cup is the cup that takes place at the end of the, of the Passover meal. It's called the cup of praise. And as it's taken, you'll hear the word said next year in Jerusalem. This is the Passover meal that Jesus established this Lord's Supper with by saying, listen, do the same thing those guys did. When you partake of something, remember. Verse 20, likewise, the cup after he had eaten said, this cup is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who, who betrays me is with me on the table. Boy, there's a sudden turn, isn't it? Son of man goes as it has been determined. I'm going to the cross because that's been the plan all along. It was plan A. There is no plan B. I am going as it has been determined. Not as the Jewish elders determined or the Roman government determined. But as God the Father has determined, this is the plan. And he says, I'm going as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's betrayed, because that's being done as a matter of choice. All of my life I've heard the debate, why did G Judas betray Jesus? Could he do no other? I mean, was he created to be that way? Kind of giving him a free skate, aren't we? You know why Judas betrayed Jesus? Because he chose to. Same way, same reason why you sin. You choose to. But notice this. This is all, what you're seeing on the screen is in quotation marks. That means this is what Jesus is saying. He knows that around that table is somebody who's going to turn him over to the, to the authorities to die. Jesus knew before anyone in that room knew. Jesus already knew what Judas was going to do. In fact, after this exchange, he goes over to Peter and he says, Peter basically says, not me, Lord. 
Peter said, or Jesus says to Peter, Peter, or this night's over, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Our failures, our sins don't catch God off guard. They catch me off guard, do, do you? I, I'm surprised sometimes at what I can do. God's not. But he still died for me. He still loves me. Verse 23 says, they began to question when they heard this of one another, which of them could, could it be who's going to do this? But it couldn't be me, right? Who's going to do this? Who's going to be this one who betrays? I don't know who it is, who it is, but I know who it's not. It's not me. It must be you. And they went around the room asking each other, is it I? Is it I? Can't it be? Must be you. I'll bet it's old so-and-so. He's always doing this. You see, it, it, it led then to a debate, a dispute, verse 24 says, a dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They went from, is it I? Two, I'm better than anybody else in this room. I'm glad that the church today is not infected with that. That we, we have a sense of pride oftentimes, don't we? I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than so-and-so. As long as I know I'm better than so-and-so, then I'm okay. Oh, if we only live by your standards rather than God's. The inspiration is what I want you to see next. Or, or we, we've seen the inspiration. I want you to see the action, what takes place. Um, if you don't mind, Nate, for the sake of time, I'm going to, I'm going to skip with, with those uh, next several slides that have the scripture that takes place in John chapter 13. If you will put those scriptures, that, that reference, and I'll just tell you what happened. And remember what we've seen. We've seen the, the disciples say, is it me, is it me, is it me? Can't be me because I'm the greatest that's here. Jesus doesn't speak a word. But he gets up from the table. Now this is the host of the meal. He gets up from the table and he ties a towel around his waist. Probably while the debate's going on amongst the disciples at the holy moment of the Passover. And they're debating how good they are and how they're the best. And Jesus just gets up, takes a bottle of water, basin of water, and he goes around and he begins to wash their feet. You know who washed their feet? Slaves. The lowest of slaves. You know, if you've got a totem pole of rankings, the ones down here, very bottom. That's who washed the feet. Jesus went around the room and he began to wash their feet. In my mind, I can see the room get quiet. You ever had somebody wash your feet? Humbling. It's a humbling moment. It starts off kind of neat, but then after a while you realize, oh, I know where my feet have gone. <clears throat> I sleep with my feet. I know how they smell. 
how dirty they can be. And here is not someone down here, but the guy up on top washing my feet. So when he gets to Peter, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. He says, Peter, I am. No, you're not. I don't wash your feet, Peter. You don't have a part in this. Okay, then, if you're going to wash, wash me all over. My head, my hands, wash me all over. And Jesus says, listen, you took a bath before you came. You don't need to be bathed again. You just need to have your feet washed. And Peter let him wash his feet. And then Jesus sat down. And he looked at the disciples and he said, he asked them this question. And this is the question where, why I've gone through all this uh, in this story for you, to ask you as we come to this time in the, uh, as we come to this time in the uh, Passover meal. When Jesus, verse 12 says, when Jesus had washed their feet, put on his outer garment, resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you understand what's taking place here tonight? The, the foot washing was not just, that was part of it, but the whole night, the whole evening, do you understand what I've done for you? I think that that's why we have to have the Lord's Supper regularly, to remind us, because it's not something that we fully understand. We get it here. Get it here. Let me help you to understand a couple things today. The lessons. First, the Lord's Supper reminds us of the enormous price that Jesus paid to redeem us from sin. The Lord's Supper reminds us Jesus had to sacrifice his body and literally die. He was literally beaten to death. And then he was hung, hanged on a cross. That's an enormous price to pay. It's an enormous uh, self-giving of Jesus. But it also is an enormous price that God the Father paid. I've said this to you before, but I want to say it here again. God has blessed me with two boys and with some grandkids. And I love those kids. Now, I love you. And I, would, I am honestly willing to die for you. But I want you to understand I am not willing to let my sons die for you. If there's any way I can stop it, I will stop it. I will take their place. But Jesus died for us. God's son, God gave. I can't understand that. I can't comprehend that enormous sacrifice that he gave, the price that he paid. I get it if I was perfect, but I'm not. Neither are you. But yet you have been redeemed. You have been purchased from sin by the precious blood of Jesus. As you drink this cup, 
in a moment, it will remind you of what price Jesus paid for you. Let me give you a second, a second lesson. God's, uh, the Lord's Supper also teaches us that all believers become believers the same way. There's no short circuit. There's no shortcut to salvation. You don't, you're not closer to it because you grew up in the, in the nursery and in Sunday school and all those things. If Because you were a sunbeam, some of you are old enough to remember that. Or a beginner or whatever it was. Every one of us came to the, to the kingdom of God, to salvation, the exact same way by kneeling at the foot of the cross where Jesus died. There's no other way. This reminds us, Jesus did this for us, and I'm convinced that if there was some other way, they had gone with it. But they didn't. They said, this is the only way you can come to the Father. Jesus said that himself. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let me give you a third lesson. The Lord's Supper also reveals that Jesus already knows our failures. If we could ever get hold of that truth, because how many times do we fail God in some way, whatever it is, maybe big, maybe little, and we feel so inadequate that what we do is we start to hide from God. We come to church and we hide. Or we just quit coming to church to hide. God already knows your faith. Not just the ones that you've done. The ones that you're going to do this afternoon and next week. And he still loves you. And that's what the Lord's Supper teaches us. Every time when I come back to the cross, those things that I thought would disqualify me from ever being loved by God, he has already paid the price for. Your failures don't catch God off guard. Let me give you a fourth lesson. A fourth lesson, I believe, is that this Lord's Supper commands Jesus' followers to be servants of one another. Jesus said after he washed their feet, he said, Now what, I, what you've seen me do, you guys do that as well. Not just what you've seen me do in washing their feet, but you've been with me for three and a half years and you have seen how people come to me all hours of the day, day and night, and we're healing them and we're working with them. And there are several times in scripture where it says they, had, they were out there and people were, kept coming and they were tired and they were hungry because they hadn't even eaten. Why did he do that? Because Jesus was a servant. The things that you've seen me, you do. We are to be servants of each other. And then lastly, last lesson, then we'll partake of the meal. Lord's Supper, I believe, em emphasizes the importance of fellowship in God's kingdom. You know, you can partake of this, and many of you will at home. Hopefully there's someone there that may be with you. But God could have said, you know, every now and then just take some time and go into your closet like you do when you pray and get alone. And remember, this is reserved, or this is, 
This is brought into the church so that we all come together and fellowship around this table. The thing that unites us, the thing that, that makes us one, uh, is observed in this partaking of the meal, and that is the person of Jesus. So he could have just done this as a one-on-one -on -one deal, but he doesn't because he knows of the importance of fellowship. In fact, the word communion, which oftentimes is used, refers to you and me communing with God in, if you will, community. It's all there together because fellowship is important in the kingdom of God. Now, I think with that understanding, we're ready to partake of these elements of this in a representative, symbolic fashion. So I want you to prepare yourself for it. In just a moment, I'm going to pray that that, that be done. I'll ask that our deacons that are prepared to serve might make their way to the front. In a moment, what they will do is they will take the elements that they have, they will distribute them uh, in, throughout the congregation. Those of you who are at home, take your part, portions and uh, uh, hold, hold them until we've, we'll, we've all been served, then one of our deacons will, will uh, share uh, a blessing over the elements. Uh, and, but I hope that as you eat and as you drink, you will remember what we've talked about today. So will you pray with me now? Father, I ask you to bless this time. We know that you're here. You've promised that you're here when two or three are gathered together in your name. So we know you're here. But Father, we, I pray that this time might be in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits and even in our bodies be consecrated, sanctified, set aside for what you want to share with us today. So, Lord, as we remember, as we partake, as we hold the elements in our hand, Father, I pray that, that what Jesus did for us will come alive in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits. So that, Father, as we go out from this place, we're living out our faith differently. Prepare our hearts now, Father, to receive these elements. In Jesus' name, amen.